In Houston, I'm John Herter, Tuesday, 12th day of January, and the first FTE show of the 2021 season. Great as always to have you along, everybody. In a nutshell, From the Experts show is a compressed virtual networking accelerator, helping people across industries connect very quickly in a brief, moderated, interactive show format. So what's in it for you? The FTE promise, if all goes well, your curiosity sparked new ideas come to light, and you may have helped yourself and the other person solve a problem or reach the opportunity faster. Networking has never been more important for your business. Hey, be excited about today's show. It's going to trigger some ideas and questions, so be sure to share them with the group in the chat box as they come up. It's my pleasure now to introduce our guest, Ryan Anderson, to the FTE Network. Ryan leads the Global Research and Insights team at Herman Miller, with over 25 years exploring new ways of working and new approaches to workplace design. His work has been featured in Fortune, The Wall Street Journal, BBC, and beyond. Hey, Ryan, thank you for making time to join us today. Distributed innovation, remote office teams, future workplace, these are all words that broadly outline the expert talk you're gonna give us and our networking session a little bit later today. So when you break this down for us, it'd be great to understand what you find particularly challenging and how you're innovating around it to find some new solutions. Ryan? To look at all aspects of this. And um, it's really been a great experience. Actually, I gotta tell you, being at a company that's mostly known for the spaces that we help to create, understanding how people can work across distances in new ways have helped us to have a clearer sense of where space can play a really positive role. But we look at um, the people process and place dimensions of anything that we research. And so today I thought I would focus uh, the time I've got as much on the people and the process side of things as on the space. I mean, I can talk about offices and home offices as long as any of you might like, but you know, our research isn't just focused on that. It's really focused on how people work in new ways and live in new ways. And I thought, uh, I thought the best way to prepare for today was to almost imagine a scenario where if a, a CEO friend of mine sat down over a beer and she said to me, what's it gonna take to have our teams distributed all over really innovate in new ways? The slides that I prepared were kind of like my, my highlight reel of what I would do. Fair enough? Sounds cool. great, Ryan. Hey, Gordy. Good hey, to great to see you, Ryan. I like the video. There's a lot of lot of friends popping up here. Yeah, let me um, head well, into sharing content if that makes sense. Unless anybody else wants to chat about the topic before I dive in. No, I, I, I was just going to say, Ryan, you're um, you're you're uh, chiming on to your comment about being a debate geek. I'm just a Ryan geek. I want to follow everything that he's chatting about. <laughs> so. Yeah, so I'm just here. Um, so I had this slot available. So I, I've known Ryan for many years from Chicago. So I just wanted to come in and say hello and find out what's going on. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. I love yeah. that. Be with. Cool. Um, well, feel free to. I know we're going to have an extended time of Q and A, which is great, and I'm really happy that Amy from HOK is on to um, to facilitate that. So. Um, I'll give you kind of my highlight reel, like I said, and then we can dive into whatever facet of this um, we might like to. And I don't pretend to have all the answers, but this has been, as I mentioned, uh, 
it's even been more than a 10 year kind of journey because I was looking into some of this stuff even before kind of that moment in London and it's a topic that's near and dear to my heart. So I know we framed this up in terms of new product development. This is absolutely applicable to new product development. It's also um, applicable even beyond that. It's really around how distributed teams can innovate, problem solve, come up with new solutions in new ways. Before we dive in, um, and John, you teed it up really well, uh, as I like to say, words are hard. Um, and right now there's, there's so many different terms being floated around, telecommuting, mobility, remote, hybrid, distributed, just for the sake of clarity. Um, if I use the term remote, I'm basically referring to people working from home or outside of offices. So it's pretty specific. Hybrid is really when a person has the ability to work from home or the office. And usually it implies that the organization they work for has empowered them to choose, which we're seeing a massive jump in that. And there's a bunch of research from organizations like Gallup indicating that it's a good thing from an employee engagement standpoint. But when I talk distributed, for me, that's the broadest uh, situation. It simply refers to people working together across many locations. It could be within a city like Houston. Um, I mentioned before the call, I've got a, a family member that works uh, there who, uh, who's at Baker Hughes actually, he lives in Katy. So it could be somebody in Katy or downtown, or we could be talking about around the world. Some of those team members may be in offices. Some of them may be at home. The location may vary wildly, but the challenge really has to do with what to do with all these people that are trying to accomplish a shared goal, but are not, at least most of them aren't co-located. 2020, interesting jumpstart, but I uh, have come to the conclusion through our research that a lot of teams have gotten stuck. And when I say jumpstart, what I mean is the attitudes among organizational leaders about remote working, working outside of the office has changed drastically. Harvard Business Review had an article in July indicating that the number of leaders that thought that remote working could be successful jumped from 14% to 42% in like three months. And so that's good. But if you go around and you say, hey, do you think that teams that are spread apart in different locations can really innovate? Can they tackle new product development? Can they creatively problem solve? There is still a lot of skepticism around that. And, and I understand why, because it does come with its own set of challenges. Um, many teams started the journey. Uh, in the Slack channel, uh, I posted a, a piece referencing Matt Mullenweg. He's the CEO of Automatic, which is a totally remote company. His view of the five levels of remote work. Level one is almost everybody's in the office, but somebody's kind of like on speakerphone, you know, or somebody's traveling. Level two is people are outside of the office but they're trying to replicate what they were doing in the office virtually. And you can get to a certain extent, like you can, you can be somewhat functioning in that mode, but it actually requires something else to move beyond it to really get to high performance. And so my last point here was just that distributed teams can be extremely effective, but it requires a great deal of intentionality. So this is like my big takeaway, which is if you wanna see this happen in your team or in your organization, you have to purposefully accelerate the transition and it can be a little messy and that's okay. Um, so the picture on the left is of H day in Sweden. So this is 1967. This is the day when Sweden switched from driving on the left-hand side of the road to the right-hand side of the road. And when you look at this picture, it feels chaotic. It feels um, like it's a complete cluster, you know, like a complete mess. Actually, the transition was beautifully orchestrated. Um, 
before 1967, most of the people driving in Sweden had vehicles with a steering wheel on the left, but drove on the left and had a pretty high uh, rate of accidents. Uh, the government talked about it for almost a decade. They finally pulled the trigger on it, had a months long campaign leading up to it. And then at 4.50 a.m., and as you see, there's a lot of people out there at 4.50 a.m. because there was so much awareness of what was going on. Everyone stopped, slowly made their way to the right, and then at 5 a.m., started again. And accidents um, significantly went down almost immediately. And so I love this picture because it just is a reminder to me that when you're intentional about accelerating a process, it can feel very disruptive for a moment, or maybe even for a little longer than a moment, but that's okay because it's better than the alternative, which is trying to just let this stuff happen organically over months and years. And when it comes to innovation, we don't want that organic process or unorchestrated process to slow us down for years. We want to see good results. And that means that we have to have a little bit of, of disorder. I, if I borrow from a theologian, actually, Richard Rohr, he has this model, order, disorder, reorder. It's tough to have a new order without experiencing disorder. And so we have to kind of head into this. Personally, I think um, if you're an organization where most of your teams were co-located, they're in the process of this transition, maybe choose one and or two and just begin to try to figure out what it looks like to accelerate that. Hey, Ryan, real yeah. quick, uh, Jeff Hogendom, CEO of uh, Connect360 asks, hey, when you say teams are stuck, what are you stuck in what way? Yeah, what I mean is that, and we'll get into this under the process slide here a little bit, but what I mean by stuck is most have been uh, maybe surprisingly effective at being productive individually uh, from different locations and may in fact be maintaining existing processes fairly well. But in terms of taking it to the next level and seeing innovation really advance, if you compare how they operate compared to a team that may have been originated as a 100% distributed team it's usually not near as fast or effective. So um, I've experienced both, but as an example, my last role at Herman Miller was um, VP of digital innovation before I took this one. I had a team um, that had team members in Sweden, Lebanon, Mexico City, couple in the US, and we flew. I mean, we, we, were, we were moving fast. It was very effective. People knew the process. They knew how to do this. And that's kind of an ideal situation if you can originate a team that knows how to do this. In terms of transitioning to it, I don't observe that most teams that have moved from being primarily co-located to being um, more distributed have thrived. They've coped, but they're struggling usually with uh, tons of video meetings, overly planned interactions, very difficult time uh, feeling that sense of interpersonal connection a uh, very difficult time finding means of unstructured creative time as a group. Um, we'll get into some of this, but I'm not saying that teams aren't um, holding their own. I'm just not quite sure they're making their way towards thriving as a really, really high performance distributed team. But I thought they're stuck. So why don't you break the process down for us and, and work on that? I will, but first I'm gonna talk about the people. So I'll go through people process place. And there's just a slide. Can I make a comment? Yeah, Or ask a question? Sure. So this transition from working on-site to working distributedly has a difference in regards to the amount of control an organization has. So at Exxon, they're very big on control, okay? 
So they're not doing very well with transitioning to distributive type activities. Mm. Not that the control aspects are really in their benefit, act in their benefit on site, but nonetheless, that's what I see as being the big difference between working on site or distributively. Yeah. And this goes back to, I think, 19, 1986. Uh, some recruiter called me up and said, what do you see about, what do you think about people working from home? And I said, the organizations will never go for it because they lose control. And that has, cool. yeah. has pretty much been consistent. Uh, that, the, that philosophy has pretty much been consistent over the years. Yeah, that's all I had to say. No, right. it's, a, it's a great comment. I think you're right. Control and trust are at the heart of it. Even tougher for a company like Exxon or anyone in oil and gas in an industry that is so safety and compliance minded and for very good reasons. Um, yeah, there's kind of a tough balance there. So I think um, if I reference the Harvard Business Review article that I mentioned before, I think broadly organizational leaders have realize that people can be very productive remotely. I think organizations across the board were very reliant on presenteeism as a proxy for productivity, which by the way, I, I have yet to see a study that indicates that it is a very good proxy for productivity. The, the more that technology enables the work to happen anywhere, the more someone at a desk or with a nicely, um, you know, iron shirt or some of the things that we might have associated with that person's got their act together. I'm not really sure it is. It, we've moved away from looking at outputs as a measure of productivity, which sounds crazy, but moved away from that for a long time. So we have to somehow reverse that process. Um, but so by the way, you all don't know me, but I could, I could just do this dialogue for hours, which I, I enjoy far more than presenting my own slides. But I was, yeah. on, um, I was on this uh, conversation for the National Association of Corporate Directors. So this was basically people on corporate boards. And this was what they wanted to talk about was like this reciprocity of trust that may or may not exist between employers and employees. So the good news is a lot of employers have said, wow, our people are actually pretty darn good at being productive outside of the office. In fact, for many of them, they're now concerned, rightfully so, that people are getting burned out like mad. Maybe the issue is they can't turn the work off. But we should remind ourselves that the employees don't necessarily feel as though they've been given trust. Nobody said, go work wherever you'd like, we trust you. Instead it was, there's a pandemic, get to your house as soon as possible, don't work anywhere else. Well, that's not, that's not you empowering me or me empowering you. That's just you know crisis response, business continuity. So. Uh, as we see 2021 unfold, there's some interesting debate within HR circles and within corporate governance circles around whether or not employees will actually feel like their employer trusts them and they can trust the employer or whether it was like, great job working your butts off during this pandemic. Now, everybody back in, we expect to see you at 8 a.m. and, you know, make sure you make sure you're there uh, till five o'clock on Friday. Don't know. Um, I think the world is headed towards more autonomy for workers, which is, like I said, probably a good thing, but not every organization will get there. Uh, by the way, we can, if there's more Q&A as we go through, we can do it right now or I can proceed. What do you think, John? Yeah, you're kind of doing it. So, I mean, here you can see Matt Dalton came up and he said, hey, he's agreeing. He's saying 
organizations can continue to focus, but more on control of deliverables, maybe than less less than people's time and calendar. That's pretty much what you were saying. More autonomy. Is yeah, there. that's a great point. And there are certainly things that need to be controlled. You'll see later. Um, I, I talk about role clarity. Um, I am, as a manager, I am not always great personally at helping to ensure super precise role clarity. I got to tell you, the more distributed a team gets, the more that becomes a real challenge. So. There are some places where control is extremely, extremely valuable. Um, but yeah, in terms of where people work and what hours they work, hopefully we're seeing more autonomy. All right. We've got a few minutes left on your comments and then we can go right into Q&A. Okay, cool. Uh, let me proceed then. Why is my slide not advancing? There we go. Um, so from a team standpoint, I think it's a good thing for teams that have moved from being co-located to being more distributed to have the team leader or the various team members kind of do an ongoing health check. And by that, um, what I mean is that a lot of organizations or a lot of teams that have established relationships, including very healthy relationships, sometimes over years, when they move from seeing each other a lot in a space to being more distributed, the team culture and the team dynamics can get sideways in ways that isn't apparent until maybe months or even years worth of productivity has suffered. There's a variety of things that can cause this, but you can imagine that as people are more isolated, they may feel a little less secure in their role. They may not feel that personal connection with others as much. They may not have a clear sense of what's going on in the organization. To me, um, as, a, as a team leader of distributed teams, this is an inclusion challenge. In fact, I think Remote working in general is an inclusion challenge. Even in the old days, if you were the person on the end of that speakerphone when everybody else was in the room, that was a rough situation, right? Where everybody's talking, you couldn't get a word in edgewise, you may feel like your voice is marginalized. So the role of a team leader in this situation is to make sure that they're aware of everyone's situation, that they are keeping in touch with people informally and formally, and making sure that their voice is heard. Uh, I won't go super deep into this right now, but there's some interesting research on the effects of being distributed on inclusion. Some groups that have been historically marginalized, people of color, women, et cetera, may actually feel like they have better representation on a Zoom call. You know, there's, there's no head of a table on a Zoom call, <laughs> metaphorically. Um, but other groups may suffer. If you've got a couple of young kids running around the house um, and you don't have anybody to help, or if you live in a rural area where you're, you know, you're getting 15 megabytes of Wi-Fi and video is just a real challenge for you, or if you're in another time zone, like everybody else is in central time zone and I'm over in you know, London or wherever, um, there's a lot of things that can cause someone to suddenly feel like they just don't really, uh, that their thoughts aren't taken as seriously or they can't participate in an equitable way. So. For me, that's where I would definitely start. I touched upon this next one, roles and responsibilities. We use a tool called RACI, R-A-C-I, maybe you've heard of it. For any given project, who's responsible, who's accountable, who's consulted, who's informed. And it's kind of shocking sometimes that even a project that may be a few months underway, if you throw that framework out there, people look at each other and go, well, I'm kind of responsible. Like, are you responsible? Um, we really need clarity on those things because there's nothing I shouldn't say nothing, but there's few things as demoralizing as doing a lot of hard work only to realize that you weren't quite working on the right things or that somebody else did what you were doing or you both ended up doing the same thing. So, so um, yeah. Sorry, I'll break in. A question from Scott Doe, Financial Services. Uh, he says, hey, 
Organization, are organizations considering the potential real estate cost savings as a driver to becoming more distributed? How can they pass that savings on uh, to investment that drives effectiveness of being distributed? Yes, this occupies roughly 85% of my day for the last um, year. Uh, yes, the organizations are completely rethinking the purposes of their offices and Mark Ketchlov and Gordy and others on the call are, are having these conversations as well. Um, I'm happy to get yep. more into the spatial considerations later, but the gist of it is, um, I think what's gonna happen is there's gonna be a path towards either divestment, as you point out, or desirability. What I mean by that is um, right now, everyone's working remotely. We're seeing the vaccine distributed. We'll have vaccine induced herd immunity like let's hope late summer. And then there's gonna be what feels like a party, right? Everybody, you can come back into the office. How you doing, hugs? How's your family? What have you been working on? I missed you. And I don't know how long that's gonna last, but that party will wind down. And so at that point, a lot of people will have to figure out like, do I come into the office four days a week or am I coming in four days a month? And an organization will have to determine, well, maybe I need less space, which they can save a ton. Basically, uh, somewhere between five and $25,000 per employee per year based on location. I'm in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It's about five grand per person per, per year. A place like London, New York, San Francisco can be closer to 25. So they can save a ton of money. Or, hang on, or they can think about a different path, which is I'm going to rethink the use of these spaces to try to support the experiences that a more distributed team needs. And there are needs that need to be met. Um, and I'll get into that in a couple slides. But um, organizations that are primarily remote first still often have thriving workplaces that solve a whole host of things that can't be met. Um, and if I'm just kind of netting it out, a lot of organizations will land on a strategy somewhere in the middle, where let's say you divest yourself of 10% of your real estate, maybe you're saving 10 grand per employee per year, you're going to reinvest some of that money maybe in home office for the employees to help them be healthy and safe maybe in making your spaces better, but you're also reinvesting it back into business. So there'll be an equilibrium that we probably land on in three to five years, which sounds like a long time, but it may even be longer just because of the nature of leases and how, how real estate cycles. So Joan Meissner comes forward and she asks, she's with CBRE. Joan's uh, on? Oh, yeah, yeah, Joan's an expert in this. Joan, you should be answering this question. Hi, <laughs> Hi Ryan. I'm not, I'm not visually on because I am not Zoom. No, I was just curious. I was talking, uh, Ryan knows a little bit about a story, which I don't need to share here, but I was talking to well, one of my networking contacts and she pointed out that distributed workplace is now really a business imperative that, you know, after 9-11 that, you know, people went, you know, out and then they came back in and then out and came back in and She's hoping that perhaps that people learn their lesson that the ability to have your workforce be able to be at home in a moment's notice is now really vital for organizations, business continuity. And how does that go back to that cost savings? <laughs> All yeah. those things. It's just an interesting, it was an interesting point that I didn't think about as well as a control, a CFO for some major companies. So. Amen, Joan. Uh, yes, it is, it is an issue of business continuity and it is an issue of agility. And we're seeing it not just in business, but in education as well. Uh, maybe you've read some of these articles on our snow days dead, but there's a whole variety of organizations that could benefit from saying, 
when you're together, we can have great experiences, but if you can't be together, we can function at a very high level. Um, I think the answer for those of you that have more of a workplace focus is if we see workplace evolve towards being more of an on-demand asset and more of the spaces are shared, so think activity-based working, agile work environment, those spaces can flex in terms of taking in a big influx of people or having fewer people there. So it's a far better return on occupancy investments than I'm going to give everybody one desk. And I'm going to fill this building full of densely planned, you know, desk intensive floor plans. That to me does not make sense on a variety of levels. So I think we will. I think we'll see business continuity um, leaders think about workplace strategy, both in terms of having a workplace that's much more agile to support the needs of the employees and making sure that the employees aren't dependent on having to work from that space to be productive. The other part of this is that look at the, the rise in remote hiring practices in the last year. Uh, something like 72% of the organizations that were on that National Association of Corporate Directors call said, we've implemented remote hiring practices. Well, if that's true, that means hiring managers are thinking about hiring better talent, arguably from a wider variety of locations. But that means that the team leaders and the facilities and the real estate team and the IT team and the HR team all need to begin thinking about what does it look like to manage a distributed workforce? Because we may not have said intentionally, this is what we're doing, but it's just happening. That was a long answer. Brian, we're a couple minutes uh, max away from your ask and give. Do you have any kind of final lessons learned or do you have some comments that you want to finish before? Well, I have about 17 more slides. No, I'm kidding. I have two more slides. Uh, let, let me let me just oh, baby, put them on the slide. What's that? I said, put them on the FTE Slack channel. I will. Um, so let, let's just do a quick time check. Yeah, we're at 1230. Let me go through just a couple more things. Um, Herman Miller released um, a piece on six fundamental human needs. Mark Ketchloff, who's on the call, is one of the best experts at it. Some of them are super relevant to this. Autonomy, I've mentioned. Belonging, feeling a sense of belonging. Personal security. Um, are all things that a team leader, if they just have like a basic conception of what these needs are, can just do a gut check as they talk to employees. This is a slide I refuse to skip because it's the most important thing we haven't talked about, which is distributed teams have to embrace a balance of synchronous and asynchronous communication. So synchronous is what we're doing now. We're all doing this at the same time. And most teams used to rely on synchronous and co-located experiences to collaborate. If you look at the best distributed teams, the ones that go the fastest, innovate the fastest, and do the best, they've adopted a lot of asynchronous interactions where they're interacting with each other, but on their own time. Um, and so if I go back to the earlier question about where teams are stuck, this is the number one thing I would point to. So as an example, if you use Microsoft Teams, there's a video feature that's synchronous, but there's also Teams channels and there's chat where you can interact with each other in an asynchronous way throughout the day. If you use the Google suite, you do not have to get on a, a call together to build out Google slides. Somebody create the slides, everybody else add their comments, same in a Word document, et cetera. And so adopting a set of tools that covers both, making sure the team knows these are our tools and then encouraging people to play with them. I actually set up dummy teams channels. I have one called Blackbriar because I'm a big Jason Bourne fan. And I'll say, I'm going to invite you to the Blackbriar team. Play, post, yeah. um, upload a document. Nothing you do there will screw up anybody else's work. Because introducing a new tool in the midst of a project is super disruptive. 
So get them playing. Um, I think brainstorming and problem solving are best when they include both modes. Uh, there's an excellent study from Wharton back in 2010, looking at student groups. They brought one student group into a room and said, we need you to think of new ideas. And the belief was that they would like build on each other and play off each other. They took a second group and said, spend a half an hour thinking of some new ideas. Then we're gonna get together later for a half an hour and you can share them. The second group was far more successful in the quantity and quality of ideas. So this balance of synchronous and asynchronous is really important. And along this line of process, I do think it's important to just think of the whole process of collaboration as a team, as a prototyping experience. I use the term two-way doors. Uh, Darren Murph is the head of remote work at GitLab. And this is a phrase that he uses a lot when I talk to him. He tells his people, there's no one-way doors, meaning if you go try something, you can back right up and go, nope, didn't work, try it again. And eventually the team will land on a process that is then scalable throughout most of the organization. All right, I'm going to continue to plow on just so we can get towards more interaction. Last thing, place, we've already talked about this. Each individual needs to be healthy and productive, but teams also need spaces where you can have that less formal means of thinking and communicating. Aristotle's second road, uh, you may have heard of this. Aristotle talked about uh, basically thinking as logic and rhetoric. There's structured formalized things. There's far less formal things. Uh, office spaces can play an enormous role in boosting this, even if the team is distributed. If you look at 100% remote teams, they still get together all the time. Now they call them on-sites instead of off-sites. Um, but the sort of things that we have discovered through our research that people really miss when working from individual locations is times of really good social connection, which is not just a fluffy thing. It's how trust is built. It's how culture is built. Times of focus. This is a surprise for many people, but there is a certain percentage of the population, probably somewhere between 40, 45%, that simply cannot focus while at home because of life situation and need a place to go to do that. And then longer duration collaboration where people are um, spending not like an hour long Zoom meeting, but you know, a half day, three days, um, that on-site sort of mentality. So my takeaway was this, this is a lot like cleaning a closet. You could say every day I'm going to move an item to a different part of my closet. And hopefully you'd have a really nice closet at the end of a month or two. Or you can say, I'm going to take all this crap out of the closet and throw it on the ground and I'm going to put it back in there in a way that's concerted um, and makes sense. And for an hour, you might have a mess on the floor, but you'll be so much better off so much faster. That intentionality is the key here. Take a team that you're relying on to do really good innovative work that's more distributed and say, let's figure out what it looks like to try to enact a more inclusive, a less synchronous, uh, and a more balanced approach towards innovation. And the more you get it right, the more you can scale that across the rest of the organization. All right. Okay. That's my so, so got a couple of questions we're going to follow up with real quick. Okay. Gregory Grad, the CIO with Vertif, a software firm, I believe. He was going back to one of your slides and he says, number one, I think bullet number one, he agrees. Asynchronous works naturally when time zones are different. His team in Asia posts problem solutions and North American picks up daily, so it worked really well. And then you have Ava Blotch. She says, definitely agree with bullet three. There's important, uh, it's important to think about what do we need to be together for and what 
and we do individually. So with that, I'd like for you to, you know, do what all of our guest speakers do, which is the ask and give. So what do you ask of the audience? What can we help you with, Ryan? Well, I appreciate that. So um, what came to my mind is that uh, just think about my role as leading research at Miller. Thankfully, we're an organization that's well known for our products. Most people know the Aeron chair. Most people know some of our modern classics. They don't always know that we do this kind of research. Um, and so in the Slack channel, I posted a video called Future of the Office. I, I happen to be in it. In fact, I shot it right here at home, which gives like a three minutes. Here's how work is changing. Here's how we need to begin thinking about the space where we work in um, differently. And if you're comfortable shooting that YouTube link to whomever it is in your organization that's managing your spaces, just to let them know that this sort of research is available. To be honest, we've got tons more, but I didn't want to kill you with it. Um, and say, hey, I was on From the Experts. I heard this guy from Herm Miller talk. Here's an interesting perspective on how our spaces might need to change in the future. Please do that. Um, it would be helpful, uh, I think mutually helpful. Certainly, we would love to be able to have more of those conversations with organizations we don't currently serve. But the video is not a promotion. It's legitimately a source of, of help. Yeah. Yeah. What about your give? Yeah, in terms of give, like I'm happy to make some more time um, for those organizations that want to go deeper into this and not just the spatial things. Um, partly because, you know, in my job, I get to learn from you too. And I want to make sure there's time for that. But if you say, hey, I think our organization really needs some help here, whether it's with the spatial or the other facets of this, let me know. I'm happy to give you additional time beyond this call. Awesome, Ryan. Oh. That's a little so Ryan, so, what, is, what is your organization? What is it that you do? I'm sorry. Jeez, we kind of skipped right over that, didn't we? Herman Miller uh, is global leader uh, in the design and manufacture of furniture. Um, we're known for products like the chair I'm sitting in, the Aron chair, um, but also for a variety of, of pieces for homes, et cetera. Our view is that furniture is really part of a larger space that's meant to help you have better experiences. When we think about designing stuff for home. It's about living and healing and playing. Um, if we design stuff for the offices, it's about being productive, et cetera. So yeah, we, we are primarily known for selling commercial and residential furniture, but a lot of what we do is, particularly with our, our business customers, is just provide good, helpful consultation to make sure that they're, they're working in the way they'd like. Great, thank you. Thanks for reminding us about that, David. So now we're gonna move from the SME talk to the networking portion. And because it was so interesting and Ryan was deep into it, we've extended our time a little bit. So I hope you can stay with it a little longer than our normal 45 minutes. The question is how can FTE network actually help your business? Why not ask each other? That's kind of what we're doing here. So each show on our Slack channel, we experiment with new ways engage and interact with each of you, our members. The more we trust each other, the more we promote and it's stronger networking, accelerating connections, getting you to the opportunity faster, you get it. So everybody welcome Amy English. She's our Leads in Need moderator today. Amy heads up Interiors Group for HOK in Houston, global architecture design firm. She's a strategic network, sorry, a strategic networker by nature and values focusing on strategic relationship development that helps build their stronger businesses for everyone. Amy, in a few words, tell us what interests you about this topic you put up, the future workplace, and you know what you want us to explore in this. 
Sure. Thanks, John. So um, this is the leads and needs portion of the program. We will try and keep this as efficient as possible to respect everyone's time. But um, very much like Ryan, what HOK does as as an interior design and architecture firm, we also do consulting. Um, our, our leads and needs are pretty similar, and we work a lot with firms like Ryan's to research workplace and what the future of workplace is going to be. So, from from a lead standpoint, for me, um, we've got a, a just a, a depth of knowledge in white papers, benchmarking of what returning to the workforce is gonna look like for corporate corporations around the globe. Um, from a needs standpoint, uh, that really goes into the leads and needs portion for me to, to speak to each of you to understand how your business is going to return to work. And if you plan to have distributed workforce and uh, how those decisions really are being made. So, uh, we'll, 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 we'll right into the leads and needs. Uh, we're going to have a series of three poll questions. So uh, I won't necessarily have to read out the poll questions to you, but take a moment and respond to those. And we'll dive a little bit deeper into each question. So the first one really focuses on um, mentoring team collaboration through a distributed work environment. So that's something that's really important uh, from a culture standpoint to make sure that the companies aren't losing their culture. So looking at how we've all been forced to adjust uh, over the past 10 months or so, uh, I'm curious how you guys have put together Mentoring, how you're still collaborating. Obviously, I, I work in an industry that uh, highly focuses on collaboration. And so we've had to be very creative in, in how we do that. Um, Noah Kruger with, with Savills, if you could dive in a little bit more on anything that you and your group has done um, on strategies that Savills has done to promote and maintain mentoring. Uh, happy to. We um, <clears throat> Savills uh, is a is a global commercial real estate firm, um, and you know one thing that we've done with our uh, you know brokers who have more uh, tenure uh, and the the junior brokers has been um, you know set up uh, something called Academy, uh, which is where we travel. In the past, uh, we traveled uh, to you know a, a, a non office uh, city and um, uh, really have the opportunity to unplug and, and get to know people do a lot of, there is a lot of work that goes on during those sessions, but um, it's mainly on bringing up those, uh, the younger folks and, and getting them connections within the organization. Um, and then after that, um, uh, you end up having, you know, uh, monthly, you know, mentoring calls or, or in quarterly, you know, team calls. And um, it's really just a, a way to keep people um, in the loop and, and, you know, give them some friends so that they're not walking into a room all by themselves. Excellent. Anyone else have any other strategies that uh, maybe are a little outside of the, the box or the norm of what you're seeing other companies do? 
So it's uh, Morton here. So the, the we are in the process right now of, of looking at the move on, on Aspon. And, and the interesting still is that landlords are still looking at executive office, standard office. The mindset is still behind on some of that compared to looking at more design thinking, persona saying, what is the purpose? What type of work is the is the person needing? Is it uh, sitting on a phone or is it quiet place or, or something like that? So I think there's still need a change in the mentality of people on how you look at uh, space from, from that point compared to the old way of, of thinking about it. Great. Well, Martin, you know, the next question actually focuses on technology. And since that's uh, a little bit of your area, I'd like to just roll right into question two, but for anyone else, uh, make sure that you're, you're putting comments in the comment section or addressing them in the Slack channel. If uh, you need access to the channel, contact John. Uh, that's where a lot of thought leadership can be found from these topics. But um, from, from technology, what changes have you seen companies adopt over the past year to allow more distributed work um, and maintain security? Yeah, so, so on that one is, of course, connectivity and availability. And, and the thing is, I've, I've been working uh, corporate telecommuting for three years in a previous job. And, and that's something different than working from home when you have an office to go into from, from that one. The thing you start doing is you start putting redundancy on, on connectivity, like a UPS on your internet gateway. Who has that at home to make sure that if the power goes, especially in Houston rolling uh, thunder going through there, your customer shouldn't be affected by that. Uh, on it. So, so you start thinking since you work from home, you start taking that into account more than just occasional work from home on it. So, so that's part of it. Uh, connectivity is the next one. Do you have backup connectivity? And, and that's where some of the interesting thing with 5G coming in, where you have your cable modem and, and you may have a 5G modem and tied together and, and tied in. So you're not uh, vulnerable because that is back to an executive. How good is the, the person being able to work from home when you don't have the, the things that the corporate's thinking about in the in office? So, so that's some of the key things on that one, uh, the security, but also documents then. How do you manage documents uh, if, if you are the person printing and everything in the home office? Do you have control of all of that? Do you have a place to lock it in uh, on, on that? And, and that's why it needs to move a lot into uh, to the, um, to the digital cloud because then you can manage, you can control it when you lock out your computer it's secured at your house since there's no physical security from company maintaining that boundary, so. <clears throat> Wonderful, very informative. Thank you so much. Um, so anyone else have, have additions? Greg, yeah. Yeah, he says Verta provides home edge closet and data center backup power. And then Ryan agrees. He's like, he personally had to do the same thing, so. Cool. A lot of changes. Yeah. Um, the, the third poll question, talks a lot about how you're determining which groups are the gonna benefit and thrive from a distributed workforce versus those that maybe make more sense to be in the office. And um, I think that's that's a lot of what Ryan touched on. Uh, he, he touched a lot on, you know, that his own group uh, was used to doing this distributed work model well before we were for, forced to do it. So they didn't really have a huge learning curve, but he also had lessons to learn and to share with others. Whereas some companies, um, it's been very, you know, you punch in at a certain time and you, you leave at a certain time. And um, in looking at how we're gonna go back to work, you know, specifically our, my HOK has, has done a lot of research in helping companies to do this change management of creating successful workplaces. 
how, how has your real estate looked at deciding which group comes back and what makes the most sense? So um, David Dozer, do you want to touch on that? If, if you've got people in your group that is starting to come back to work and how you've made those decisions. Who'd you call on? David. And Scott. He's still on. Yeah, I, I don't know. Are you anybody? There you are. <laughs> I think you mixed a first name and a last name. Did I? So are you Scott. Referring to Scott. Scott. Yes. Hello. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I, I know that our leadership is is currently thinking of this um, just from the standpoint that it, the timing is a, is a little bit um, good for them. And that I think in terms of their real estate, they're considering uh, in the next year or two, their lease, uh, it may be up. And so they're having to kind of think this through. Um, our industry is, I guess, one of the advantages and disadvantages is because of being in, in sort of the financial services industry and we have a lot of data that's somewhat sensitive I guess just like most people most most companies do um, we've had to think through sort of how our security and data data center was managed a number of years ago and sort of redundancy and, and timeliness of responsive being responsive so when this all came along, it was actually pretty easy for us to switch to um, most of our, our staff was in offices. We were, we were able to switch and, and really that, a lot of the kind of the, the, the meatier parts of what had to be considered were sort of taken care of uh, already. It was more the, it's more the cultural change. It's more, what do we do going forward in terms of teamwork and pods and who works together and how do we kind of continue sort of the mentoring that was happening. I, I think that's all been a little bit on pause and that's probably what they're mostly thinking of at this point. Well, hey, everybody, finish the, the poll real quick if you haven't. Sorry, go ahead, Amy. No, you're fine. And, and I, I will start wrapping up here. Uh, the fourth poll question really touches on an initiative that my firm has been doing with different real estate groups and clients around the globe. And that really is something that I think we can carry over into the Slack channel, or I am happy to continue that conversation individually with anyone that's interested. Um, what we're seeing groups do instead of completely overhauling their real estate is we're, what we're doing is, is basically work pilots for them. Um, so small test groups to look at real estate, um, change how they're, nor how they're currently working, and seeing if it's successful. So getting some early adopters in to these groups to, to help word of mouth also to spread of that, yes, this can work or this, this different type of work model can work. We're in it, we're buying into it. Um, we're showing that it's successful before we roll it out to the rest of our real estate. So um, happy to continue that conversation, but um, I've enjoyed hearing everyone's responses and, and seeing the, the chat group and thank everyone for participating today. Looks like yeah, John so, at the poll results up there. Yeah, so no, I, I um, you can see the poll results. and uh, But uh, I, I noticed a comment from Sarah. Sarah DeLille, can you, can you share your comment with everybody? Sure, can you hear me? Yeah. So Sarah's Hi, everyone. Comment. 
Yeah, hi everyone. Sorry, I was a bit late. I was uh, confused by two events at the same time in my calendar and I went to the wrong one. Um, uh, anyway, so I think for Equinor, um, we are, um, almost all of us are working remotely. And one thing that becomes top priority is really cybersecurity. So it, it has always been very important for Equinor, uh, but now it become even more important. We talk about it all the time. Uh, we have trainings, we have uh, advanced trainings uh, regarding cybersecurity. Um, so that is something we really talk a lot about. Uh, I don't think Equinor has started talking really about the return to work and the different ways to work going forward in terms of office uh, setup. Uh, but I think what we are working on uh, now is to make us as resilient as possible in case we have to work remotely for, for even longer. So making sure that we have, um, as I mentioned, the cybersecurity uh, issues resolved and people trained but also our systems, our IT systems really uh, resilient. So we are able to, we are 20,000 people all over the world. We need to be able to work all of us uh, in, in many systems without them crashing. So it's really uh, making our IT system really uh, resilient and able to accommodate for all of us working remotely if needed. Good, thanks for that, Sarah. So Amy, thank you very much. I think that's gonna conclude uh, the leads and needs session for this show. Uh, but now a word from our FTE underwriters. So, so much is changing today. Staying connected, sharing fresh ideas, building new relationships and networking with existing clients without having to sell is challenging. From the experts, we are seeking five to seven company underwriters in 2021 to advise and influence programming and content. Hey, from eight members back in April of last year to 476 today, we're growing and influencing exponentially. F is FTE the right fit for you? Hey, let's talk. Let's stay connected. Stay connected with this network that you're developing. Check out our website at FTE.network to register for upcoming shows and see previous shows, podcasts, and videos covering a wide range of topics and experts that hey, may give you some ideas and new contacts. Do you want to go deeper? Look at the link Gus already put up. It's the FTE Slack channel. Thanks to everybody who's put content on there and is sharing ideas and business opportunities. I want to welcome Gus Feliciano to the FTE team. His experience and many talents are already making an impact to your experience. Thank you, Gus. So glad you're here. Well, we're out of time, folks. Next show is in two weeks, Tuesday, January 26th. Our guest expert is Miguel Kalatayund, CEO of Iwi and Qualitas Health. He's sharing their fascinating journey that's about scaling up super crop algae and creating new markets to help feed our growing global population. You won't want to miss it. So sign up right now on our website, fte.network. Hey, how are we doing? 30 seconds or less. We need your ideas and feedback. So we're going to send out the FTE link. Uh, with today's post-show notes, but we're also putting it right here uh, and you can click on it right now and give us your immediate feedback. Thanks again, to Amy and Ryan. Really appreciate all that you've done to make this interesting uh, conversation. And th thanks to all of you for making this hopefully the smartest 45, okay, 55 minutes of your day. So that's the end of the show. I hope to see you in two weeks. Thank you, everybody. <laughs>